Good evening, church. It's going to be in God's house this evening. I'm going to take your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter number 5. It's been a good day in God's house, and I uh, hope you had a restful afternoon. It's a great time of the year, isn't it? Nice, uh, sunny, warmer days. I'm not too uh, much of a fan of cooler nights, but uh, I like the uh, hotter weather. But uh, it's a great time of the year to be here in southeast Queensland. A great service this morning, and... Uh, Great uh, baptism that I was watching. This is my first time actually seeing this uh, being unearthed up here, and I knew there was something down there, but uh, just watching all that procedure, that was pretty interesting and uh, revealing, and I'm thankful that uh, Andrew was down there. Uh, if I was down there, I probably, you probably, probably wouldn't see me, so <laughs> I didn't realize it was so deep in there. I said, good grief. I said, he's way down there, and I uh, actually had a baptism happen in Tarum uh, back on Easter Sunday, and we had a fellow baptized out there, the church in Tarum, down by the riverside, and uh, just after a rain, and the uh, river's pretty swollen, and uh, pretty, it was fast moving. We found a little peaceful area, but still the water, we got into the water, up to here on me, and so the fellow was about my size, a little bit taller, and so I was kind of baptizing him like this. It was like, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty interesting, but we had, thankfully we didn't uh, flow away at all, and, uh, but uh, praise the Lord for the baptism this morning, and how Lord... Uh, worked in the service, so thanks to Brother Paul for the uh, message and song tonight, and for the message this morning, and I see the Lord working in, uh, in that service here today. Here in Galatians chapter 5, thanks to Charles for reading this passage here, and uh, I'll tell you what, it's a very extremely rich uh, chapter here in Galatians, and I struggled to know where to go. Um, this is a lot of information here, and it's the beauty about God's Word is the fact that it's, uh, it can be... I don't want to say shallow, but there's many, many layers of God's Word. If you've been a student of God's Word any length of time, you understand that, uh, you know, there's, of course, one interpretation, but many applications, and uh, the applications run deep for us as Christians. And so uh, there's a lot of, lot of stuff here, and uh, my aim tonight is to be uh, simple, uh, to be straightforward, and uh, to be direct, and hopefully it'll be a, a blessing to you. And, uh, but here in Galatians chapter 5, uh, we're going to cover... Starting in verse number 13, down through verse 26, and again, um, I know through uh, the course of my uh, history of preaching, I tend to get uh, a bit lengthy at times, and uh, mentioning that, Paul mentioned this morning that uh, his PB is 50 minutes, is that, is that right, bro, 50 minutes? I'm not sure, I'm trying to figure out where, you know, if that's a PB or not, I mean, I thought, I thought it was supposed to go in the other way, like shorter is better, but I don't know, but uh I think my own, my own uh, preaching ministry, I remember uh, I had the privilege of marrying uh, a pastor's daughter, and so uh, I was back, uh, well, last century now, 1999, man, it goes back a long ways. Anyway, so we got married in June, coming up, uh, 18th, and then her dad, I'm not sure when he asked me, but he asked me to preach on a Sunday morning after we returned back from our honeymoon. And uh, I think he may ask me, I think he may have called, we left East Coast of Maryland, our home church, and flew as far as we can get away from our parents, and we are together for the first time alone. We flew to the other side of the country, uh, San Diego, in fact, flew there, and I came back. Uh, we left Monday, came back Saturday, and I preached uh, at our home church on Sunday morning, and the uh, shortest message ever, it was eight minutes long. <laughs> I'm not a joke. Eight minutes, I was up there. I just went right to the point, and uh, we were done, and my father-in-law got up and had to fill in for the next 25 minutes because there... <laughs> There's actually still classes going on in the back, and uh, anyways, but we will be uh, a little bit more in eight minutes, I think, tonight, but uh, we won't try to lengthen too much. 
Galatians chapter 5, and if you know at all about the history of Galatians and the background of, of this book, um, this book is written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the churches at Gal- in Galatia, uh, Iconium, Lystra, uh, Antioch, Pisidia, Iconium, uh, Derby, so forth. And uh, this letter was written to the churches there after his first missionary journey. And uh, after Paul left this area, a false teachers came in. And uh, they were teaching another gospel. And so Paul wrote this letter to the churches to help uh, combat that, to help uh, strengthen the believers and to uh, basically get on to them. Say, look, guys, don't, you know, don't trust these false teachers because they're teaching another gospel. That's kind of a nutshell, the background of Galatians. And uh, you kind of read the first chapter, you understand that Paul gets stuck into them pretty quickly at the start of his letter. There wasn't much uh, you know, salutation. There was a bit of a, a greeting and all that, but pretty quick got stuck into them, and he was really... Uh, trying to uh, strengthen them out and trying to help them spiritually. And the text verse tonight we're going to deal with is verse number 16. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I guess the whole idea is this, is to walk in the Spirit. And uh, it goes hand in hand with Brother Paul mentioned this morning as far as the way that we have in the Christian life as we uh, accept Christ as our Savior, and we have um, a walk to walk in the Christian life. And understand the Christian life is not a sprint. It's, it's not a crawl. It's, a, it's not a swim. It's a walk. And uh, the word walk is used a lot in Scripture. And uh, we are told to walk in the Spirit. And uh, that implies a bit, uh, there's going to be some resistance to that. There's going to be some pushback. And so uh, understand the Christian life, once, once you get saved, it's not, uh, it's not a passive state. We don't sit back and let and we just don't let go and let God. You know, it's something that we have to do. Put one foot in front of the other in the Christian life as we, as we walk in the Spirit. And I'll use some phrases tonight, and I think uh, it's kind of the home crowd, and I think most of us are probably uh, prayerfully a Christians, and you're saved, born-again believer. And so I'll use some phrases tonight that we probably are familiar with, and phrases such as uh, in the flesh, uh, in the Spirit. And so when we say these things, I think sometimes... Uh, you know, jokingly, we say, man, I was in the flesh, you know, and let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in the flesh? I think we all can say yes, and uh, we, I can be a first-hand, I've been in the flesh, and it seems like the older you get and the more of a life has pressures and things coming your way, you tend to uh, need to suppress the flesh more and more often, and so I think this is even more needful as we mature in the Christian life is to walk in the Spirit. Is, it, what does this mean to walk in the Spirit? And I'm a kind of practical type of guy, and I just like practicality. And so hopefully tonight it's a bit of a practical sermon as we think about what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What is, it, what is someone like when they actually are walking in the Spirit? And uh, in fact, here in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 3, <clears throat> uh, the Bible says here, Are you so foolish, this is Paul speaking to the churches there in Galatia, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Guys, you started walking in the Spirit, but now you're trusting in the flesh. All right, so I think it's, it can be all our testimony. Some, you know, sometimes some days are good. We have uh, what we call spiritual victory. Some days are not so good. Uh, we may become defeated in the flesh. And so there's this constant battle going on. And uh, you know what? To sense that battle in your, in your life is a good thing because if you're not saved, you're not going to have this battle because you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So to understand that uh, if you do struggle with your flesh and the ballot goes on within your life, that's a good thing because you are a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and there's going to be that conflict each and every day. 
What are some examples of people in the Bible that that's made a decision in the flesh to go back all the way back to Adam? Think about Adam. He made a decision to eat of the uh, forbidden fruit in the flesh. Would you say that was a fleshy decision? I think it was. He disobeyed God. You think of Moses. Moses, uh, a meek, a meek man. And Moses, uh, he lived in the flesh. Uh, he had a, a fleshly moment when he saw one of his own uh, people being uh, abused, and he killed the uh, Egyptian. Remember that story? And uh, he was in the flesh. The children of Israel were in the flesh when they uh, did not have their faith fully in God to carry them through into the promised land. They saw the giants, and they recognized, you know what? Uh, these giants are too big for us. We can't, uh, we can't do this. So they, they uh, turned around and fled, and they made a decision in the flesh. Think of Peter. Do we have to go too far in Peter's life? <laughs> he had a few fleshly moments, did he not? When the Lord said, uh, look, I'm about to be delivered into Jerusalem, and uh, I need to, I'm going to die, rise a third day. And Peter says, no, not so, my Lord. And so uh, the Lord then called him, you know, basically get behind me, Satan, the devil, and, and you know, this turn, and this, is, this has to be this way. And so Peter got into flesh there. Think of James and John in Luke chapter 9. They wanted to uh, call fire down to uh, some Samaritan village. And, uh, you know, they're preparing the way for the Lord to arrive, and they got in the flesh, and the Lord rebuked those two guys, saying, guys, you don't know what spirit you are of. And so uh, there's times that we read in the Bible of people, as we would say, are living in the flesh, make fleshy decisions, and we all do that. On the reverse side, there's examples of people living in the spirit. <clears throat> I think of Simeon in the first part of Luke, when he was uh, directed to the Holy Spirit to go to the temple to meet the young Jesus Christ. Uh, he was led of the Spirit to do that. Uh, Peter and John declared the gospel boldly in the face of persecution in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul goes to Macedonia instead of Bithynia. So there's time to time again we see examples of people living in the Spirit. So definitely there's a distinction between uh, living in the flesh and living in the Spirit. Reminded of this, you may have heard this little... Uh, this uh, little tale uh, of two, uh, there's an Aboriginal fella, an elder that recently got saved, and he was teaching his uh, young grandson about what, happened, what happens now on the inside of his heart. He said, there's like two wolves inside my heart, inside my life, and, and one, one wolf is fighting against the other wolf, and they're always combating, and they're always fighting and bickering and going back and forth, and the little boy's like, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather simply said, the one I feed the most. And you think about just that uh, simple little thing. You know what? That's a battle going on inside of our heart, inside of our life, the flesh and the spirit. Walk in the spirit, again, it implies effort. It implies consistency. Keep on walking. Continually be walking. It assumes difficulty because we have to be commanded to do it. And that is evidence that there's going to be resistance, that there's going to be conflict. There will be conflict. You see there in verse number 17, it says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. We're going to turn to several different uh, scripture passages tonight. If you would turn to Romans chapter 7, and uh, you're probably familiar with this. This is Paul laying this out here in uh, pretty simple terminology. Romans chapter 7. Keep your finger here. We'll be back. <clears throat> Romans chapter 7. This is one of these passages where you had to read pretty slow. If not, you get tongue-tied as uh, Paul goes on to, to say these things. And uh, this is uh, what Paul says here in Romans chapter 7. 
in verse 15 through 25. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Can you uh, kind of resound with uh, Paul here, what's going on? I certainly can. I can relate to that. Man, things I want to do, it's hard for me. The things that are good I want to do, they're hard because the flesh is warring against that. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Okay? We understand what Paul's saying here. And so it's all of us. We, we're all in that. We're all in that boat together. Wouldn't it be a blessing if, if God chose to remove our old nature from us when we got saved? That would be a blessing. I love that. But he chose not to do that. So we are, we are uh, it's God ordained that we have this old nature with us. And I, I have different reasons why. I don't know for sure. I'm not God, obviously. But uh, I think we just got, that causes us to depend on him more each and every day. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a battle. It's a battle. And, uh, but it won't always be this way. Because one day we'll be like him. And praise the Lord, I can't wait for that day. I'm sure you can't wait for that day. But until that day, we have a battle to fight. The internal battle. The flesh against the spirit. Again, walking is a big theme in the New Testament. Spiritual progress isn't a sprint. It's a lifelong walk. Romans chapter 6 says walking in newness of life. Romans 13 says walking decently. Philippians chapter 3 says walking in unity. Ephesians chapter 4, walking in humility. Romans chapter 13, walking in purity. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, walking in contentment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, walking in faith. Ephesians chapter 2, walking in good works. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, walking in separation from sin. Ephesians chapter 5, walking in love, walking in light, and walking in wisdom. And John uh, 3, John, walking in truth. And so we are to walk the way Jesus walked, and this assumes an effort. So how did Jesus walk? How did he walk? He is our example in all things. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 6, it says here, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So how did Jesus Christ walk? He <clears throat> would we'll turn to Isaiah chapter 61. And we'll go through a couple things here and work our way back to the New Testament. <clears throat> so we look at the example of our Savior Jesus Christ in this. Isaiah chapter 61. In verse 1 and 2, this is uh, Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah prophesying the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You think about the Old Testament as a whole, 
think about one word that describes the Old Testament, that is anticipation. And, uh, and uh, so we see here the prophet Isaiah um, prophesying the anticipating Savior in, in, to come in the years to come. Here in uh, verse number 1 of uh, chapter 61, The Spirit of the Lord's God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. See the opening few words there? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. All right, flick over to um, Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> Keep this uh, thought in mind, because we're going to see this here again. In Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> so how did Jesus walk? We are to walk like him, so how did he walk? Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> again, we'll just uh, touch on a few examples here. Luke chapter 4, verse number 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jump over to verse uh, number 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for a read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty to them, them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? All right, we just read that in Isaiah, so uh, he stood up and read this, what we just read there <clears throat> in a synagogue. And I love this, and uh, I don't know if you do this. I, I, I try to find a little bit of humor, and there's humor in God's Word, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but uh, you kind of go on here, verse number 20, and he closed the book, and in my mind, I'm thinking what's going on here in the synagogue. So Christ read this. He closed the book, and he gave it to the minister and sat down. All right, so you kind of just kind of, Think about that. There's probably a few quiet moments there as they're watching him. And, and, uh, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. They were just looking at him. All right, probably digesting what he just read. <laughs> and, what I, and then uh, he said, verse number 21, he began to say unto them, this day is a scripture fulfilled in your ears. And he said, verse 22, and, and uh, the people there, get the story goes, the account here, the narrative, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And I can just see, what, what a nice young man. You know, this, Jesus coming in here speaking these gracious words, and but they're missing it. They're missing the whole point. They're missing the point Jesus read from Isaiah prophesying himself, and he's saying, guys, I am the one. I am the one. And they're sitting there saying, well, what a nice young man. Some gracious words he's saying. We, we know, we know, isn't this guy, isn't not this Joseph's son? And so, you know, we see this taking place, and we know by the story here, at the end of this account, they wanted to throw him off the cliff. All right, so they weren't too pleased by what he said. But the point being is the fact that Christ was speaking of himself. He's saying, guys, I am he. I am he who Isaiah prophesied about. I am the one. I am the one who's going to walk with the Spirit of God upon me. 
Jump over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. So Jesus himself walked with the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10. And we are to walk as he walks, so it's possible. We can do this. We can do it. With God's help. Acts chapter 10, verse number 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So we had the prophecy back in Isaiah. We had a testimony of Jesus Christ himself saying, I am the, I am the one that we have here. Uh, Peter, opening his mouth, gave testimony of the fact this is what Jesus did. This is what he did. He walked with the power of the Holy Ghost. He walked with the power of the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives so that the believer can enjoy liberty in Christ? Back to Galatians chapter 5. With that example in mind, we have Christ as our example in all things. And again, we spend a lot of time here tonight looking through different examples of Christ was directed, preached, and walked in the Holy Spirit. But here, back in Galatians chapter number 5. <clears throat> so i got three points tonight and then uh, two uh Two quick applications. Galatians chapter 5. So how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives that the believer can enjoy liberty in Christ? Number one is this. The Holy Spirit empowers us to implement the law of love. The Holy Spirit empowers us to implement the law of love. There in verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Understand, it's not law on the outside, but love on the inside that makes a difference. We need another power within, and that power comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Understand, there are 14, at least 14 different references to the Holy Spirit here in Galatians. When we believe on Christ, the Spirit comes to dwell within us. And uh, by the way, there at the uh, uh, end of chapter number four, here Paul gives a bit of an analogy, a bit of an allegory of um, Ishmael and Isaac and the the war that that we witnessed even today in the news recently as with Hamas and Israel going on in the Middle East. That war still rages on, and uh, which obviously pictures, uh, an application pictures the war that's going on within us. But understand that it is the Holy Spirit in the heart who gives assurance of salvation. And uh, it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to live for Christ and glorify him. The Holy Spirit is not simply a divine influence. He's a divine person, just as are the Father and the Son. What God the Father planned for you, the God the Son purchased for you on the cross, God the Spirit personalizes for you and applies it to your life as you yield to him. The Holy Spirit empowers us to implement the law of love in our life. This liberty 
again, I don't want to delve too deep. There's a lot of doctrinal stuff here. Uh, but again, my aim is to keep it light, practical, and to apply it uh, into our, in our Christian life. But understand liberty. We, once a person is saved, they are not under the bondage of sin. That, that, that's been forgiven. And, uh, you know, we have liberty in Christ. And some people take that, that to extreme, and they take that to the understand that uh, there's balance in the Christian life. Liberty is to be in the middle of the road. Then you have both sides you can fall off in, on the middle of the road as law and license. And it's a whole other whole nother, um, idea and topic and so forth. But the, the point of, of it being this is this, that we have liberty in Christ. We're no longer under the bondage of sin. And because of that, some people think, oh, I can, do what, I can just do whatever I want to do. Well, Paul directs this here. He says, don't use liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. The Christian is a free man. He is free from the guilt of sin because he has experienced God's forgiveness. He is free from the penalty of sin because Christ died for him on the cross. And he is, through the Spirit, free from the power of sin in his daily life. And Paul puts it very aptly here in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God working in you. It's not external, it's internal. Liberty plus love <clears throat> equals service to others. Liberty minus love equals slavery to sin. The amazing thing about love is that it takes the place of all of the laws God ever gave. Thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. Solves every problem in human relations, does it not? If you love people because you love Christ, you will not steal from them, lie about them, envy them, or try in any way to hurt them. <clears throat> if you have small children, you would, uh, and we uh, have not more small children than teenagers, but uh, when our kids were small, um, we would instruct them, of course, not to go near the road and uh, not to play near the road. And as they grow older, uh, they discovered that obedience brings rewards. They learn to obey not only to escape pain, but to gain pleasure. As they grow even older, you neither threaten nor bribe them in order to keep them safe. They have a built-in discipline of love that regulates their lives, and they would not deliberately hurt themselves, their parents, or other people. Love has replaced law. On a much higher level, the Holy Spirit within gives us the love that we need. Romans 5, verse 5, Paul says this, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. It's his love. It's his working from the inside out. Apparently here the Galatians believers are lacking a little bit of love here. It says here in verse number 15, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Guys, you're, you're, you're devouring, you're, you're bickering, you're fighting. You're about to consume each other. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Number two, the Holy Spirit enables us to conquer the flesh. The Holy Spirit enables, enables us to conquer the flesh. Verse number 16, our text first, as I say, Then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. All right, we don't want the lusts of the flesh in our life. We want to walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> Just as Isaac and Ishmael were unable to get along, so the Spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. 
All right, and of course, we don't mean the actual body, that my body, my flesh tonight. The human body is not sinful. I understand our bodies are neutral, but the Holy Spirit controls the body. Uh, if, the, if the Holy Spirit controls the body, then we walk in the Spirit. But if the flesh controls the body, then we walk in the lust, the desires of the flesh. Again, the Spirit and the flesh have very different appetites, and this is what creates the conflict in our life. In fact, these opposite appetites are illustrated uh, many times in the Bible in different ways. You think of uh, <clears throat> the example of the sheep. The sheep is a clean animal and avoids garbage, while the pigs, uh, they are an unclean animal and enjoy wallowing in filth. There in 2 Peter chapter 2. All right, sheep and pigs. And we have, uh, I think of the story of Noah there back in the book of 8th chapter of Genesis when uh, Noah uh, released the, uh, uh, the raven. And that pictures the flesh. Uh, the raven feeds on uh, carrion, on dead carcasses. And uh, he was gone. He, the, the raven was released, left the dove. Uh, the second bird was released. <clears throat> and the last time uh, it, it, uh, it found uh, a branch, a life, and which represents the spirit. So we have uh, these uh, different... Uh, illustrations in the Bible and God's Word to help us understand the flesh and the spirit. So the old, our old nature is like the pig and the ravens, always looking for something unclean on which to feed. Our new nature is like the sheep and the dove, yearning for that which is clean and holy. It's no wonder a struggle goes on within the life of the believer. And understand that as Christians, we cannot simply just simply wail to overcome the flesh, okay? That, that's not how we do this. You know, we get a pep talk every morning, all right, let's just try to get this done. Let's try to get, do the right thing. Right? That's not how we do it. And we read there in Romans chapter 7, the struggle that Paul had and that we have. And uh, in that scripture passage, Paul is not denying that there, that there is victory. He is simply pointing out that we cannot win this victory in our own strength and by our own will, Great verse in Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Being led of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit are the opposites of yielding to the desires of the flesh. <clears throat> verse number 18. Uh, verse number 17. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if you be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And we go on. We're not going to cover all these. The, the works of the flesh are listed there for us in verse 19, 20, and 21. All right? And we're not going to read this for sake of time but, uh, and study those through. But uh, understand there is a, uh, the word works in verse 19, the word fruit in verse 22. We'll get, this in a minute, get to this point in a minute. But works and fruit are two different things. And, uh, but the works of the flesh are listed here for us in these verses. <clears throat> Understand that the old nature must be crucified, as it says there in verse 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. And Paul explains that the believer is identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection there in Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Christ not only died for me, but I died with Christ. In fact, there's a verse here, back a few pages in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about the uh, term crucifixion. You know, that's something you can't do to yourself. It's impossible to crucify yourself physically or in, in the Spirit's application is this. It's something that you can't do. The Holy Spirit has got to do that. No matter how hard you try, the Holy Spirit has to help you and give you power to do that, to break. Christ died for me to remove the penalty of my sin, but I died with Christ to break sin's power. <clears throat> he tells us that the flesh has already been crucified. It is our responsibility to believe this and act on it. We must accept what God says about the old nature and not try to make it something that is not. We must not make provision for the flesh by feeding it the things that it enjoys. Because we understand that the flesh dwells no good thing and we should put no confidence in the flesh. The flesh cannot please God and only through the Holy Spirit can we put to death the deeds that the flesh would do through our body. <clears throat> Number three, point number three. Let's start bring this to a close here. Point number three, the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit enriches us to develop fruit. All right, it's, it's one thing to overcome the flesh and not do evil things, but quite something else, but quite something else to do good things. So negative goodness is not enough in the life. There must be positive qualities as well. So the Holy Spirit enriches us to develop fruits. And I love this here, uh, verse number 22. Let's read this together. Number <clears throat> 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Again, we're not going to go through these in detail, everyone. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. First one, from which all others flow out of. Uh, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I love that last part, against such there is no law. Understand that even unbelievers do not make laws against such things as those which the fruit of the Spirit produces. In other words, walking in the Spirit produces the kind of character that would make the law useless. And that's the point. If we, if we live by the Spirit, if we live these things, there's no need for a law. There's no need to law, any law against that. Because that's, that, that's, and obviously, you know, we're still sinners. And we'll be like Christ one day, perfect. Uh, we're not that yet. And that's why there is laws. But the, it, it, like Jesus Christ, there was, he didn't need a law because he was perfect. He lived by the Spirit. He produced these things in perfection. Again, the contrast between works and fruit, <clears throat> very, very important. As we pointed out earlier in verse number 19, on the works of the flesh, and we have then the fruit of the Spirit. A machine in a factory works and turns out a product, but it can never manufacture fruit. Fruit must grow out of life. In the case of the believer, it is the life of the Spirit. And Becky's been growing some things in the backyard and has some tomato plants, stuff going on, some sunflowers and different things happening in the backyard. And we tried it last year and everything just died and we got some advice and 
I got some uh, that blood and bone stuff and just try to nurture these plants a bit. And we don't have much of a green thumb. She has better than I do. But uh, the other day we're sitting in the lounge room looking out the back window and just uh, she's enjoying her, her plants. I think it was green, flourishing, growing, get some fruit and tomato plants. Things were looking good. And it's, it's, it's uh, isn't that uh, just uplifting and encouraging to, to see something like that? You know, who wants to watch, you know, out west when it's, uh, you know, dry, it's everything's brittle and, and crusty and everything's going to go up in flames. And, but, uh, you know, when something has greenery and life to it, it's, it's enjoyment to see that, to watch it, watch it grow. And these are most of these plants that we got are from woolies, the little things they got, you know, in the, from seeds, from nothing. A little seed, massive plant. And you watch it grow step by step and, uh, you know, day by day. And to, uh, to see that life taking place, taking root in that plant and just uh, flourishing, and it's, it's, a great, it's a great encouraging thing. It, it, brings, it brings joy and just brings happiness. And you see that taking place. And so, again, the flesh can only produce dead works, but the spirit produces living fruit. Living fruit. Love begets more love. Joy helps to produce more joy. Jesus is concerned that we produce fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Because this is the way we glorify him. The old nature cannot produce fruit. Only the new nature can do that. And this fruit here, enlisted for us in verse 22, 23, is dealing with uh, character. And the characteristics that God wants in our lives are seen in the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> One difference is... Uh, it's possible for the old nature to counterfeit some of the fruit of the Spirit, but the flesh can never produce the fruit of the Spirit. One difference is this. When the Spirit produces fruit, God gets the glory, and the Christian is not conscious of his spirituality. But when the flesh is at work, the person is inwardly proud of himself and is pleased when others compliment him. The work of the Spirit is to make us more like Christ for his glory and not for the praise of men. <clears throat> Understand another about, thing about this fruit here. This, uh, this fruit is produced to be eaten, not to be admired and put on display. People around us are starving for love, for joy, for peace, and all the other graces of the Spirit. When they find them in our lives, they know that we have something that they lack. We do not bear fruit for our own consumption. We bear fruit that others may, might be fed and helped and that Christ might be glorified. In short, the secret to this walking in the Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself and his power. Here, verse 24. <clears throat> and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. All right, two quick, here, think, two quick points here, and then we'll, we'll close for tonight. <clears throat> Here's a bit of here's a bit of something that uh, we can uh, I guess we can do uh, application wise, um, and here's a three word phrase that I kind of uh, boiled this down to, and uh, how do we put one foot in front of the other in Christian life? As we understand our example of Christ in everything, He walked in the Spirit. <clears throat> understand the ministry of, of the Holy Spirit, how He works in our lives. How, how do we actually uh, put this to use? How do we put one foot in front of the other? And a three-word phrase is this, we think biblically. And in other words, we, we think in the truth of God's word. And uh, let me give you uh, just uh, two quick examples of this, and, and then we'll be done. Uh, 
as we face, uh, in life, we face circumstances, and we face people and relationships. And uh, to walk in the Spirit through tough circumstances, <clears throat> we must have the single mind. And again, it's, thinking, it's using this uh, idea of thinking biblically in life. You know, um, we're not talking about being hyper-spiritual and it's going around, you know, quoting verses all the time. We're just thinking about, I'm, I'm talking about just in life, as you come across situations of life, circumstances and problems and pressures, um, what are we instructed to do in God's word with this? Well, what, what, what are we commanded to do? What are we abstain, uh, commanded to abstain from? What is it that uh, we've been told to do to handle the circumstance? I'll read a verse to you here um, <clears throat> quickly, and then I'll get to a, a few other verses. And uh, you know, I said this a couple times, bring it to a close. Uh, here in, and he, here's, the, uh, here's, here's the key right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, you receive them not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. We want God's word to effect us. We want, we want the Holy Spirit to effect us. We want God's truth to be effectual in us and, and work, work in us. All right, so we, we face tough circumstances. We must have the single mind. And Paul mentions this in Philippians chapter 1. We're not going to read for the sake of time. But Paul's mentioning he's in prison right into the church of Philippi. And he's saying people are happy that I'm in prison. People, things are, people are preaching uh, the fact that I'm in prison. They're happy for it. And there's circumstances going on. I, I'm here in chains, in bonds. But Paul had the spirits, and uh, he had the single mind. He had a single mind. You look at, on your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel, and you rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. That's how we, okay, I say, Lord, this circumstance come in my life situation. Okay, how do I, okay, look, at, I know it's not the best. Think of John the Baptist in prison, Paul in prison, not the best situation, best circumstance. But uh, Paul gave some instruction in Philippians to have the single mind. Let me read one verse to you. And uh, <clears throat> again, we're not going to read all this, but uh, Philippians chapter number 2. And here it is right here. But I, would, but I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, some indeed, verse 15, preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. What then, verse 18, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice and will rejoice. Look at Christ, <laughs> again, we, it's, God's laid out for us in, in God's word a simple, a simple path for us, a, a simple Christian life. And we, we tend to complicate it, do we not? We make things messy. And uh, I make it messy, you make it messy. We're all guilty of this. But simply, okay, Lord, you gave me a circumstance, a situation, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise you for what you're about to do. I'm not going to complain about what you didn't do. But I'm going to think about uh, what you plan to do in this situation and how you're helping me grow in this situation, in this circumstance. To walk in the Spirit through tough circumstances, you must have the single mind. And number two, to walk in the Spirit when dealing with tough people or relationships, you must have the submissive mind. 
the submissive mind. Others is the key word in the vocabulary of the Christian who exercises the submissive mind. Prefer one another, edify one another, bear one another's burdens. And Paul mentions this again in Philippians chapter number uh, number two, and I'll read this in closing. <clears throat> Philippians chapter two. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man in his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Dealing with uh, hard relationships, hard people, we had a submissive mind. Submissive is not weakness. It's not weakness. It's submitting to the Holy Spirit. And you know what, Lord, I understand this is uh, happening for a reason. I don't understand it completely. But uh, I trust you. And uh, please work a work in my life. And I praise you for what you're about to do. So we need to think biblically. Think biblically. So walk in the Spirit. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So next week, let's, let's uh, take God's Word to heart. Let's walk in the Spirit. Let's walk in the Spirit. And uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a tough gig. It, it, it's tough sometimes. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes the flesh arises, and the flesh gains momentum. And uh, whether it's through temper or just uh, bad attitudes, and we all have that issue. But let's, let's uh, with God's help, purpose to walk in the Spirit this next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> Father, I pray you help us as we apply these things to our life. Lord, help us, all of us, to uh, think biblically. Look at the world's situations, the circumstances, the scenarios of what's happening around us, Lord, and apply biblical truth to these things. Lord, your word is the answer. Father, help us, Lord, as we grow in you. Help us to lean upon you. Lord, help us in our Christian life. We just ask you to bless this church. We thank you for the folks here and give us a special grace and wisdom as we march forward. And Father, we just ask you, Lord, to help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.